Welcome to Sister Conversations with Ayana Blake, a healthy and safe space for women to collect inspirational tools, tips, and stories to become their best selves. Expect unfiltered truths and empowering strategies, along with compelling interviews and group discussions to become a more effective woman. Thank you for spending time with us today. Now, let's jump into our daily dose of practical sister conversations. Hi everyone, I am Ayana Blake, and this is Sister Conversations. Did you know about one in eight United States women, about 13%, will develop invasive breast cancer over the course of her lifetime? In women under 45, breast cancer is more common in black women than white women. Overall, Black women are more likely to die of breast cancer. For Asian, Hispanic, and Native American women, the risk of developing and dying from breast cancer is lower. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Each week, I highlight powerful women that have and are fighting breast cancer. No matter the age or background, for women in the United States, Breast cancer death rates are higher than those of any other cancer besides lung cancer. So ladies, get educated, schedule your annual mammogram, do your own self breast exams. Let's show support for every woman affected by breast cancer. Ladies, please help me welcome my special guest, breast cancer survivor, Dominique Valentine. Thank you for taking the time to sit with me today. I've been following your story and just really uh, praying, praying that you're always in a state of recovery. You know, when I decided to do this uh, series on uh, breast cancer survivors, you were at the top of the list uh, just because you were so transparent in your journey. And so I thought that our listeners would really, really be inspired by it. And so thank you for taking this opportunity to share. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. I'm honored that you even thought about me to be a part of your amazing legacy that you have going on. I went on your page and stalked you too as well and see that you have worked with other amazing women and um, have allowed them to share their stories. And I, I know it's so needed in this world. So thank you for being a contribution. Oh, well, thank you. So tell us your name, tell us who you are, and um, kind of give us a little overview of your story. Okay, so my name is Dominique Valentine. I am now 29 years old. I am married to the man of my dreams, Marcus Valentine. We are entrepreneurs in the health and wellness industry for seven years now, making an impact and helping to transform people's lives through nutrition, fitness, and the power of a positive community. Um, October 2019, I was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer, which is an aggressive form of breast cancer that predominantly um, happens to young women, African-American women, Hispanic women, and women with the BRAC gene. 
Um, they call it triple negative because it's negative for estrogen, it's negative for progesterone, it's negative for the HER2 protein, which makes it kind of harder to treat um, because there's no targeted hormonal therapy for it. Um, so it's an aggressive kind of breast cancer. I was diagnosed with stage three um, at the time of my diagnosis, and I went through 16 rounds of chemotherapy, a double mastectomy, and now on the other side, but in between that, it was ups and downs, highs and lows, you know, wins, losses, and all of that. Wow. What a superwoman. <laughs> you think? <laughs> oh, yeah. What a superwoman. I'm listening to you saying, girl, you are fierce. Thank you. Thank you oh, so much. My. That's quite the journey. Wow. So you said 2019. How was the cancer detected? So um, that July, I randomly went to go get a breast exam and everything came back perfect. No lumps, nothing. Um, in August, out of nowhere, I began to feel a lump. And I'm like, how is this possible? I just had a breast exam. It must be something like a cyst or something like that. I knew my mom had a cyst in the past, my sister, um, but I did make an appointment with uh, my primary care and I couldn't get in until the end of the month. So I went a whole month not knowing, you know, what this lump was in my breast. Um, about the time I got to my primary care, she said, you know, I'm not really concerned because you know, you're young, it's probably a cyst, I think it is too, but I do want you to go get um, a checkup. I do want you to go get it checked out. And I'm glad that she did that because I hear a lot of people who um, primary care for whatsoever reason, their age, knowledge, whatever, you know, are just like, we'll just keep an eye out on it. If it's still there in a couple months, come back. But she was like, you know, I don't think it's anything, but let's just still go get the testing. So went out to the car, I called to go make an appointment for an ultrasound and a mammogram. And I found out I had a block on my insurance for missed payments. So I couldn't even go get it done. And now that's like August 31st. By the time I have the appointment, I can't even get it done. So the whole month of September, I'm looking for places. I'm Googling like how much is a mammogram? Like where can I go get it at? All these things, all these resources that I didn't know that was available, that they really are available. Um, but at the same time as well, I was still not believing it was cancer. So if I believed it was cancer, I would have pushed harder to look for, you know, a place that could see me or try to fight to get the block off my insurance. But uh, I eventually found the place and it took them a month to be able to get me in. I had to fill out all these forms of papers and um, October 20th, I was finally able to get into um, get a mammogram and an ultrasound. So that was, I found it in August, September, and then the end of October. So three months went by with a lump in my breast. Three months. What was that like? It was, it was scary, but it was also like, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. I went to my primary. Um, all I could do was wait on this program that I had found out. It's called the CEED program, and they help people with ins uh, no insurance, insurance, people who have blocks on their insurance, things like that. And I found that through a friend, but I can't imagine if I didn't find that organization that helped me. Um, but yeah, it was it was scary, but 
I was also still going on with my everyday life activities. I'm an entrepreneur, full-time business, you know, things like that. Um, and still didn't believe that it was cancer. I didn't see nobody 27 years old walking around with breast cancer. So I, I, I wasn't, you know, pressing an issue for myself. Um, and then when I did go, I had that initial appointment. They did a mammogram. They did an ultrasound. And they said, you know, you are young and we don't want you to leave here. This does look suspicious. We don't want you to leave here without doing a biopsy. So we want to do a biopsy. I had no idea what a biopsy was. I was in Googling what is a biopsy. All of this was new to me. I agreed to get the biopsy done. And then results came back that it was cancerous. And how did you feel when they said that? I was extremely shocked. Um, they actually called and told me and I um, was actually working at the time, my business. And they called and said, hey, the test results came in. I'm sorry, but it's cancer. And I was like, uh, okay, so what do we do? Like, I'm that person who has like, a, let's fix it. Like, what we got to do, let's get it done right now. But I was also in shock. And, you know, that's how I will operate. Like, let's, how can we get it fixed? How can we get it out? And um, they said that they would have somebody else call me back and talk to me more. Um, my husband was there at the time and he took it, you know, at that moment, the hardest and he was crying and I'm picking him up off the floor. Like we got this, we're going to get through this. And, and then through the days I became that person and I'm crying, I'm on the floor. I'm like, how did this happen to me? Like, what is going on? Like, I'm sad. I'm like waiting. So now from the time of being diagnosed, to the time to meet with the doctor is about six days. So like now, you know, for sure that you've been living with cancer in your body for at least three months. And now you have to wait to another appointment. So within those few days, I was scared for my life. I felt like immediately like I was dying, which was a lie because people live and thrive with cancer for years. And, but as a 27 year old, I'm just like, Oh my God, my life is over. I'm like about to die. And, you know, until I met with the oncologist and we came up with a plan and even through there, it was continuous ups and downs. And some days you felt like you was on top of the world and you was winning. And then, you know, the next days you was dealing with, you know, you know, grief and sadness and, feeling like you lost things and lost yourself in so many different areas. So I am over 40 and I couldn't have my first mammogram until I was 40. Yeah. So how in the world did they deal with that? You being in your twenties and you're saying, look, this is what I have. If your insurance was up to date, was that something that you could do? At in your 20s, have a mammogram? Because my primary care signed off on it, I would have been able to go, but most people don't. And that's why, especially with African-American women, that's why they're most likely diagnosed at stage three, stage four, you know, cancer spread through their body because number one, their doctors don't believe them. And number two, they're so young and they, their doctors say, we'll just monitor it. We'll just check back in in a few months. But um, because they're not that age yet where it would be considered, you know, uh, the requirement for detect cancer, but my doctor did give me the go ahead, but it was my insurance that blocked me from getting it done. Were you doing 
normal breast exams? I wasn't. I had just I had just went and got that um, exam done by a doctor. I was doing yearly exams, but I wasn't doing them on my own. But even the month before, there was nothing there. And then in August, it's triple negative breast cancer. So it grows rapidly. So I went from not having nothing in July to feeling a little bump, a little lump in August to being diagnosed with a five centimeter tumor. So it grows rapidly. So I wasn't doing breast exams and I do think they're important for women to do them. And I do them now, of course, because I have more knowledge and I've seen that it's possible for women. I see now women who's 24, 25, 26, 27, like me going through it. And now I'm able to spread that word of breast exams, but I had no one telling me to even do those, um, which I'm sure would have been a contribution. Um, but at the same time, I had did just get one done by a doctor. And if the doctor found nothing in a month before, then I'm sure I wouldn't have had either. So I'm I'm curious, as a young lady in your 20s, was that even on your radar to do? Not at all. Not at all. You know, at this age, you're, you know, in a relationship or married like me, newly married, working, you know, building a life and, you know, on a go on a, all the time, like in not even just not having time to, I wasn't educated in that area too. And I don't know where that was supposed to come along in my life to be educated on something like that. It was, if it was from a primary doctor who was supposed to show me how, but even when I got breast cancer, now I'm Googling, how do you do a breast exam? So I can now show other women. And so I can now find ways to show other women because you'd be surprised how many women are 30 and 40 and still not doing breast exams and how many women are 50, 60, never ever going to go get a, a, a mammogram or see a primary care at all. Right. I think part of the problem is we're told 40s here start doing them. Yeah. Versus you have breasts, examine yeah. them. Yeah. And I am beyond grateful that you're on today to just share that wealth of knowledge because my daughter is 22. My other daughter is 27. And it's like, I don't think I've ever had those conversations with them to say, are you doing your breast exams Yeah. now? Yeah. Wow. Wow. So thank you. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Um, is there a family history of breast cancer? Oh, there's no family history. And I tested negative for the gene as well. So nope. Yep. And the kind that I have, it, it only happens in 10% of cases which is another reason why it's not much knowledge, education, or, you know, trials or any, um, a lot of research on it because it happens so little. Wow. What were some of the physical changes you endured from the treatment and how did you, how did they affect the way you saw yourself? So um, first with my losing my hair, of course, um, I started losing my hair the second round of treatment. Of course, I knew I would. Um, nowadays, they have the, you know, cold caps that you can pay thousands of dollars for to keep your hair. Um, if you choose to do treatment. Of dollars, right? Yeah. And it's also extremely 
painful to have cold ice packs on your head. And my thing was, I just want to live. So if that means I got to lose my hair, then I, okay, I'll lose my hair. But my biggest concern was, was living. So when my hair started to fall out, you know, I wanted to, I didn't want to see it falling out every day. Like I could literally go like this and pull it out. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do this to myself because that's traumatizing. Let me just go ahead and cut it off. So, you know, I can feel empowered in that way. So all my family got together and I let everybody cut a piece off. Then my husband shaved it. And then, you know, they, I have my makeup done. So it was like, you know, an empowering that I got to take control over. And I kind of like tried to set that tone throughout chemo like you know I still wanted to be an entrepreneur I still wanted to be able to you know um to help my clients and and be a wife and be a young 27 year old without looking sick like I didn't want to I didn't want to look sick because I knew that I was sick so it was like okay what things can I do to you know make myself feel better about myself and that meant, you know, buying different color scarves and hats and wigs, my first wigs and all of that. And I, you know, I felt empowered in that area instead of, you know, just taking, you know, the, 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 the color of my skin turned dark. I had big black eyes, like look like permanent black. like somebody punched me in both of my eyes from the, from the chemo. So, you know, doing my makeup, um, right before I started chemo, I got the microblading done so I can, you know, have some eyebrows. And then I learned to fill them in when I needed to and getting up and getting dressed. So, you know, I wouldn't fall into, you know, depression because at the end of the day, I'm a 27 year old, I'm a new wife, you know, I still want to, you know, carry myself where I can be loving and nurturing to me, but also to my husband as well. So besides my hair and my makeup, of course, my breasts, um, when I had the double mastectomy, I lost my, my breasts, which I wasn't excited about. Um, but at the same time, it was like, you can, okay, if this is going to give me a better chance of surviving, then, you know, then I should probably do it. So um, the pain with that was a pain like no other that I haven't experienced in my life. Um, once I, ha- I had treatment through COVID, so I was at the hospital by myself getting the double mastectomy. I had to stay in the hospital by myself. They were short nurses and uh, overwhelming amount of patients. So I seen a doctor, if I had to pee or use the bathroom or anything, it was, you know, every maybe 10 minutes, somebody can get to me from when I ring my alarm and, um, I couldn't control any of the medications. So any medications that they gave me to help with the pain, I would just throw it up. So I felt everything from, uh, the double mastectomy. And then, you know, going through the stages of, you know, reconstruction, and that's not always the most beautiful thing as well. Um, so with that, and then um, changes just in in my strength and in my energy and things like that, but just learning different things throughout treatment that I could use to empower myself and try to be a contribution to my own healing. When you say it wasn't the most beautiful thing, what do you mean? Well, when you go through reconstruction stages, um, you know, I thought my breasts was perfectly beautiful as they was. And I loved them. And I knew that, you know, it would be nothing better than my own. Um, But when I had the reconstruction, um, I had to, of course, had it 
um, had them both amputated. And then I had the implants put under, I mean, well, I didn't even have the implants right away. I had expanders. So expanders is something that is like, um, what do you, what would you call it? Like, I guess like a silicone, um, like a balloon that they stretch your skin, um, to try to, you know, build it so that you can go back and then get the implants put in. But when you first leave the hospital, you're, you have a flat chest and by week, weekly, they have to, you know, fill it up with a syringe of, um, saline to get it to the size that, you know, that you want or your body can handle. And the implant, the expanders were very uncomfortable, um, they moved from the front of my breast to under my underarm. So now I'm a 27 year old with breast to the side, which was very hurtful, very uncomfortable. Couldn't sleep on my either sides, couldn't sleep on my breast. So I had to basically sleep on my back for about May, June, July, August. So for about five months, I had those in, um, until I was able to get the reconstruction in um that September of 2020 and then of course you know I had a great surgeon I asked a lot of questions I asked to see their work I asked you know do I qualify for a nipple sparing reconstructive can I do this will this happen how will this look so I asked questions so I can find a perfect the person that was perfect for me as a 27 year old I still want to be able to put on baby suits and things like that so just being able to talk to a surgeon to, to get the best deal so I did get, you know, um, uh, aesthetically, you know, pleasing uh, reconstruction. But at the end of the day, it's still not mine. At the end of the day, I still have no sensation, no feeling, can't feel pain, can't feel heat, can't feel if my shirt is down, you know, won't be able to breastfeed, all of those things that, you know, nobody ever wants to experience. Wow. What has the emotional toll looked like uh, for you? Um, ups and downs. Um, I always try to, to to stay positive because I knew that this would it wouldn't last forever. I knew that you know I would tell myself every night like joy is going to come in the morning. Joy is coming in the morning, and it always does. We just get to you know pick our joy, hmm. and um, there I was like days, yeah, <laughs> there was days like that. that you know I you know, I felt like a normal, regular person. And there was days where I was like, I really got cancer and this really sucks. Like sometimes some days you will forget, you know, because the the way I carried myself, the way I continue to live my life and enjoy my life, you know, I tried not to, you know, have a pity party with myself. But then some days reality is set in and you'll be sitting at home or you'll get a call for your, from your doctor and you'll be like, wow, this really sucks. Like, this is really like not the life that I thought for myself or planned for myself. So what have you learned about yourself since your diagnosis? I learned that I am a control freak. Oh. And <laughs> very, very much like I felt like I could control everything in my life. I had the answers for everybody. I had the answers for everything. If I didn't know it, we was about to go figure it out. We was going to make it happen. We was going to get it done. And when I was diagnosed, it was like, I don't know anything. This is uh, unmarked territory. Like I have no control over this. This is God. This is my body. 
they're going to figure this thing out together because I have no control over the fact that the cells in my body are attacking each other. So just knowing, you know, that I'm not in control of cancer, I'm not in control of a cold, you know, so just, you know, helping to to release some of these things from me and, you know, that I don't have to know all the answers. I don't have to know what tomorrow is going to look like for me. I don't have to have control over everything. And um, that was probably the the biggest lesson, you know, for my pride, for my spirit, for, for everything. Like, you know, you don't have control over everything. So you mentioned that you were uh, a newlywed when you got your diagnosis how did this affect your marriage? Well, I was uh, three years in. We just celebrated our three-year anniversary. So I guess that's still considered new. We of just hit the, <laughs> we just hit the five-year mark. So we're excited about that. Um, but so, how did it affect my marriage? So I think that um, that this disease uh, just exposed who we were before the diagnosis I felt like if me and my husband you know was was terrible to each other was mean to each other was hard arguing all the time to each other didn't care about each other then that would have been exposed through my treatment through my cancer diagnosis but me and my husband we was loving to each other we had the same core values the same beliefs we treated each other kind you know we took care of one one another so I felt like when I was diagnosed all of that just um, elevated to another level. So I hear a lot of stories about people who, you know, so sadly they don't make it through things like this or their husband leaves them or their wife leaves the husband and things like that. And that wasn't really a concern for me because I, I knew who my husband was as a man of God, as my friend, as my partner and the things that we established and created when we created our vows. I knew that that we would get through this together, just like we got through everything else in our short three years of marriage together. So um, it wasn't, you know, one of those situations where I, I feared anything with my husband, but I knew I would be able to depend on him. I knew right away he was going to be a caregiver. He was going to be the one to, to come with me to all my appointments. He was going to be the one to shower me and, you know, cook for me and clean for me. And that's the things that he did. He took, you know, 100% of everything else and let me focus on just healing. And I'm grateful for that because I'm aware that everybody doesn't have that or even a person to depend on in that area. And I really don't know how they do it without it, but so many amazing, powerful women do. Shout out to husband. (laughs) (laughs) What advice would you give um, on how to best support a loved one going through breast cancer? Well, I can only think of the things that everything everybody did for me um not even just my husband but my family and my community and um all of the people who was a part of this journey and one thing the thing that I really needed was a team and that's what my family provided for me we was a we were a team so you know 
These were the people who was going to help get these things. These was the people who was going to look out for us in this area, you know, delegating different things to family members because we needed everybody during this. So, you know, helping your loved one develop a team of people that they can count on, you know, um, also just a group of people who can love on them and support them because most of the time you just want to feel like you're loved and you know that you still have a, a glorious purpose and you still have life and that this is not a death sentence. So just having people around you to love on you. And then for that person who's going to be the caregiver um, to just be, you know, supportive and contribute in any way you can. Everything matters if it's cleaning, if it's cooking, if it's, you know, combing out your wig, which my husband did for me. Like, you know, everything matters. Nothing goes unnoticed, especially when you're in such a traumatic experience like this. You know, it's the little things that people do for you that, you know, hit your heart hard, you know, is the 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 calls, is the 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 research on, oh, I found this is good for you. I'm gonna send you over, you know, some of this stuff that'll help you. Oh, it's an appointment for a massage or anything like that, you know, just being there for them to provide basically anything they need. And then just listening, you know, all the time. My husband didn't have the answers for me you know, and nights that I tried and I was scared and I was confused, you know, I didn't expect my husband to, you know, to give me answers that nobody knew the answer to. I just expected him to listen and to just understand, you know, what I was going through and and weep with me when I weep and rejoice with me when I rejoice. So that's something I would tell a caregiver. What does your faith look like now? Um, I think I, you know, I thought I had, I thought I had, uh, you know, this strong faith. And um, when I went through this, like my faith was really shaken. Like I was really shaken when I was first diagnosed. And I was like, how can I believe in God and be so afraid? Like, and I battle with that back and forth. Like, you know, if I trust God, like my mom would be like, do you trust God? And I'm like, yeah, I trust God. But like this right here is crazy. Like, so I did trust God, but I did feel, you know, like, you know, I questioned things and, you know, things came up for me where, you know, I felt, you know, like, how could this happen to me? You know, God loved me so much. And things like that. But then I read something one day and it said like, just because like you're fearful and just because, and it talked about how God was fearful in the Bible, like something happened in a situation and he was afraid. And I was like, you know, it's completely normal. So I went through this whole phase where, you know, I I was like, how can I say I believe? And I'm scared right now. I'm worried about, you know, if the cancer is going to spread. I'm worried about, you know, if I'm going to be able to have kids. I'm worried about, you know, being immunocompromised and not being able to be around my family and friends. Like, I'm worried about how the medication will react to my body and all of these different things I was so fearful of, but it was 100% normal. And now that I'm out on the other side, I'm like, I'm sure everybody, you know, has times like that in their life. But um, just believing in something like I don't care like what you believe in when you're going through something like this you gotta believe in something like you gotta believe in something love hope you know happiness joy like you have to believe in something and someone um to help you get through that's good that's good so thank you what message would you like to share with women listening that may be dealing with this so 
The one thing that I always say is um, I thought that this was a death sentence because it was so unfamiliar to me. But I want to let you know that this is not a death sentence and you're, you still have a glorious purpose for your life. And, you know, things might, you know, feel overwhelming and unfamiliar, but it won't be like this forever. There is over 2 million survivors thriving and living an amazing life. And you will be too as well. Uh, one thing I could say is uh, be your own advocate. When I first started treatment, I was you know, afraid of, you know, um, getting out of place, you know, and I had questions and concerns. And it took me a lot of courage to begin to, you know, advocate for myself and ask doctors about this treatment plan. And why are we doing this? And what is that? And how is this going to help? And why do I take this medication and things like that? And sometimes you might feel like you're belligerent to the doctors or, you know, whatever it might look like on their end, but you are a hundred percent in control over your treatment plan. So if something doesn't feel right, if something doesn't look right, say something, know that you can get a second opinion, know that you can switch doctors. If those doctors aren't aligned with you and what you see for your life and your recovery and your healing. So just don't be afraid to research and, and find the things that work for you and your body. And then um, bring that to your doctors and let them know that this is how you choose to take on your journey instead of just sitting back and taking everything that they say, you know, everything that they tell you that's going to happen to you, that you're going to experience, that 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 you're going to go through, that is never going to happen for you, you know. Don't don't believe that. Know that miracles happen every day and that you are a walking miracle. Yes, you are, sister. Yes, you are. <laughs> so you are an entrepreneur. Tell us about your business and what it means to you on this side of your recovery. Yeah, so um, me and my husband are helping wellness entrepreneurs, and we inspire people through nutrition, fitness, and the power of, the, of a positive community. We've been entrepreneurs for seven years now. And Congratulations. Both, thank you so much. And within those seven years, we did all kinds of amazing things under an umbrella, um, starting with just helping people, providing meal guides, providing nutrition support, providing one-on-one um, consultations and supports on their journey and hosting the fit camps and um, exercising classes, having a brick and water building. So we had a brick and water building in our city of Camden, New Jersey, where we provided healthy meals, uh, meal replacement shakes, energy teas, uh, protein coffees, all sorts of healthy replacements in our community. So people could help change their habits daily. Um, opening up a gym now, something that we're in the process of doing right now. So y'all come on, come on. (laughs) So many um, amazing things where we've been able to um, impact people's lives through running challenges where we uh, support people and then um, give out cash prizes for people who got the best results. And now what it means to me, you know, when I was going through the journey, I was like, how are people going to trust me with their health when, you know, this freak stuff happened to me? Like, how could, you know, they trust me that I know what I'm talking about? But um, within that, more people actually trusted me. More people felt connected to me because now I'm experiencing, you know, different things that other people experienced or things people honestly don't want to experience. So they're like, you know, 
trusting me more and relating to me more. And now I've been able to work with different breast cancer survivors now as well, you know, helping them, you know, uh, do choose healthier habits to try to prevent a recurrence. You know, the, that's the only thing we have control over when it comes to, you know, a diagnosis like this, being able to eat healthy, take care of ourselves, lower our stress, work out, things like that. So now I'm being able to relate to other women outside of the, the realm that I'm usually accustomed to has been amazing for me. What is the name of your business and how can we support you? <laughs> All right. So so me and my husband, our brand is the Victorious Valentines. Um, but within that, um, we, we call our team the Victorious Nation team. Um, so we have our uh, our uh, personal page, the Victorious Valentines, and then we have our business page, Victorious Nation. And um, inside of that, Renewed Nutrition will be coming soon, which will be our gym and our shop that will be back up and running. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Oh, I love it. Okay. So three words to describe you. What are they? <laughs> um, relentless. Come on. <laughs> um, I call myself a healer. Mm. <laughs> and one more thing. Victorious. Relentless. A healer. Healer. Why healer? Is a healer because not not meaning physically. I haven't healed people physically, but I feel like your energy can heal people, you know, your 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 aura, your the, the way you look at life can be a, a healing to the world. And that's always my goal when I go out and whether I'm in a workplace or whether I'm going to the grocery store, just bringing that joy and healing to the world. Oh, come on. Thank you. Healing. And what was the last one? Victorious. 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 What does that word mean to you? Victorious. Victorious. So Victorious Valentine's was me and my husband's uh, wedding hashtag five years ago. And we declared that we would be victorious in our marriage in our life, in our business, and anything that we put our hands to. So we declare that victory over our lives. And um, we we believe that the greatest way of, of, of showing who God is, is by being victorious and by winning. So that's who we uh, want to be in this world is victorious. Woo! That is good stuff. It's always amazing how... I have these interviews and this is my first time meeting you. It's amazing to me how every single time someone sits there in the hot seat, as I call it, (laughs) and it feels like I've known you forever. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It's something there. Do you feel that? Yeah, of course I do. Yeah, I think it's just how amazing you are. It's simply you. (laughs) No, no, no. Listen to me. You, my friend, my sister are amazing. When I tell you that I didn't even know that you were in New Jersey. Oh, yeah. I didn't even because I I mean, that's the blessing of social media. Right. And so I have no idea how I started seeing your stuff. But somehow I was seeing your stuff and I was seeing your journey. And like I said before, I started immediately praying. I had no idea 
who you were. And I just started praying. I saw the drive-bys on your birthday. I mean, just, they were just popping up and I just started praying. And I, I just heard God say, contact her. And I'm so thankful that I was obedient because Again, I feel like I found a new little sister and I always get excited about that because that's what this is about. Connecting women, sharing and highlighting you and your journey. You are amazing. Thank you so much. At 27, I'm telling you, I couldn't even imagine being faced with what you have been faced with. And when I tell you looking at this gorgeous face today, you don't look like you done been through a thing. You hear me? <laughs> Thank you. Just as gorgeous. I can't wait for the people to see this here face. I'll get over there and, and follow my new little sister and her business. You all support her. You all love on her. And just let her know that she is an inspiration to us all. And so thank you again for joining us. Thank you for sharing your amazing story. You are fierce. You are gorgeous. You are relentless. All of the above. And most importantly, my sister, you are victorious. (laughs) That's good stuff. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful for the opportunity. I, I look forward to connecting with you again. Take care. We'll talk soon. All right. Bye-bye. God bless you. Love you too. Take care. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Sister Conversations with Ayana Blake. Be sure to subscribe to our show in your favorite podcast app and sign up to join our email list at www.sisterconversations.com. See you next week. And don't forget, bring a sister with you.